have to tell you how fortunate I feel that I am knowing Ruth, we go back a ways, and, um, and also for her willingness to do this for us. Um, she is a speaker, she's an author, she's a coach, she's been um, a huge influencer, not in the social media sense as we know it today, but influencer in terms of really making a difference in the healthcare industry. She's really fought against a lot of old attitudes, old beliefs, old ways of doing things um, to improve healthcare outcomes for all of us. So thank you for that. She's authored seven books and has multiple journal articles. She's worked with more than 170 hospitals and healthcare organizations internationally. I know I recently saw a presentation that you did in Portugal, which was fun. I think it was about a year ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yes, it was. So, um, but again, to help all these organizations improve patient and family outcomes and compete effectively in a value-based purchasing world. So her mission is to promote healing and wholeness, transforming organizations through relationship enhancement and skill development. And certainly our topic today on resilience is gonna be something that is of value to all of us. So Ruth, thank you so much for your generosity, um, especially doing this twice. So <laughs> You're so welcome. It's, it helps me refine the ideas. <laughs> there you go. Yes, yes, exactly. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Good. And you are doing the recording, right? Yes, I am. Perfect. Okay. Well, welcome, everybody. And thank you for joining us today and listening to my story about resilience. Um, spent a lot of time thinking about this over the years, and I'll tell you a little bit about why. Um, from a couple of the stories of some of my most challenging times. But what I'd like to do is take us from the chaos of the crucible to developing grit with grace. And so what we'll be talking about is how you become resilience fit, if you will. Um, so uh, I wanted to show you to get started. We're going to talk about crucible experiences and also the six C's of resilience and how you can use those in your life as a skill. Um, what you see on your screen there is actually, um, we live in Santa Rosa, California now, and we moved down to California from Washington State right before the fires, the big Tubbs fire, if you may remember, in the fall of 2017. And this is our car, what remains of our car. So um, the, the interesting kind of humorous thing about losing the car, because obviously we're fine and most of our stuff was fine, but this did burn. And you might see that little red in the middle of that um, picture, if you will, and that is our emergency kit. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> okay, so here are our, our objectives. Um, I want to talk first about when you're in those crucible phases of your life, um, whether it be personal or professional, what are the potential benefits of that? Because I really do believe there are some. Uh, it's hard to think about that during those times. And secondarily, how you can take some skills and concepts to help transform those experiences um, so that you can be even better at adapting and, and functioning well in your personal and professional lives. So that's what we'll be talking about. And as I want to start out to say, um, I've 
I want to talk just a titch about me. So, you know, why I feel like I can talk a little bit about this. I've worked with, as Jackie said, about 180 organizations now, and I've written seven books. They're about leadership development in nursing and care delivery models and that sort of thing. And so what I've been working on the last few years has been more coaching and governance and patient safety and leadership development. And what my doctoral research was on was critical thinking and clinical judgment. How do we help people actually uh, be sure that they don't kill off patients, number one? <laughs> and they're thinking well, right? How do you think well? And especially because we all have personal lives and things might not be going just stellar in those, how do we maintain the focus that we need for our work? Those of you on this call are entrepreneurs. You understand the importance of having the flexibility and the ability to be excellent professionals so that you can make your business work. Um, I also developed a care delivery model, but that's probably not something you're too worried about. But what I want to take from this, the information about me is how I've taken the ideas of clinical judgment and critical thinking and how we think effectively into how we deal with those challenges that we have in our lives so that we can be resilient. And I want to define resilience and talk a little bit about the concepts, but before we really get into that, I do want to mention um, this is what I will be talking about are first world problems. Um, I've always been able to eat. I have not yet been homeless, God forbid, but you know, so these are first world developed world type more problems rather than um, being in the middle of war and famine and, and all those things that so many people must live with in our world. So I do want to give the caveat that um, this is, you know, there are many people that have had more to deal with than I. Okay. But what resilience is, no matter where you are, is the ability to return to that original form. So if you think about, you know, a rubber band being pulled, um, does it come back? Does it come back after being pulled and how does that resilience um, manifest itself? So basically speedy recovery from problems so that your equilibrium is such that you can actually be effective. And um, we've certainly, I've you know, had a few losses and catastrophes in my life and, and I guess the question that I ask is, um, and we will be asking some coaching questions during this time period, do we want to return to our original form? Exactly. Or is there a need for some transformation that might occur from the state that you might be in when you're in these challenging crucible moments? Okay, so that's a question to think about. Also, I want to introduce to you the idea of appreciative intelligence. And certainly you're aware of social intelligence or emotional intelligence, um, Daniel Goleman's work and others' work on that. Um, this particular kind of intelligence, I've only seen it in one book, um, which is sourced there. But it is that ability to see the positive inherent generative potential what could happen, what could come from this acorn or this situation. 
the visual that I've used here that I'd like you to take with you is what we saw the first time that I went for a walk in our neighborhood after the fires came through in 2017. Um, part of the neighborhood was burned. One of the buildings here was completely burned. And then some people lost their homes a block away as well. In the whole Fountain Grove area, thousands of homes were lost. But I took a walk and with my first ugly cries, I looked at the devastation. I did see this and these are acorns. And you can see some of them are burned and some of them are not burned. And it occurred to me that we don't know which ones of these will grow if they should be, um, they should be buried in, and in a good soil. So I think um, as, as healthcare professionals, we look at every patient that way. We say, okay, they may be in really tough shape now, but what could they become? And that's what appreciative intelligence is about. We're gonna talk more about that as time goes on. But resilience is important, particularly for you as entrepreneurs, because just before we did this, there was a study at the end of December about millionaires. And they talked to them about why they were effective and why they were making this money that they were millionaires. And two qualities were there. One was resistance. Number one was resistance that helped them become millionaires. And the second was perseverance. We're going to find that that is one of the qualities of appreciative intelligence as well. And there's your resource for that. So as before we actually look at a couple of crucible moments in my life and what I learned from those, I'd like you to just take a moment to think about having your mind either a current challenge or a time in your life that you felt was extremely challenging. Because as we move forward, I'd like you to refer back to that and to be able to think about, okay, hmm, what could I learn from this? And if you don't already have um, paper and pencil or you know your iPad there to write on, um, keep track of some of these questions that I might be asking. And if any of those coaching questions give you a start or stop you, um, and they're good, hard questions that you need to think more about, those might be some that you can use to move forward in your personal and professional life. Just, just something to think about, okay? So what we want to do uh, is to be able, with resilience and these skills, these six Cs, go from suffering and grief, despair, pain, and dysfunction to something else to being able to laugh and have hope and peace and new self-awareness or understanding. So that's, those are the outcomes that we're, we're really shooting for. Okay, now I've mentioned crucible experiences. You've seen, uh, you know, a burned car. <laughs> but crucible experiences are those defining and growth moments or periods of your life. And some of you might be um, you know, not have not had those kinds of periods in your life. And hopefully, I mean, great, if you haven't, that's wonderful. You might still have them come up as time goes on. Um, and during those periods, you might feel lost or confused or chaotic, or maybe it's a, a grief time um, from loss. Um, sometimes it hits in all different periods of your life. It's, you know, it's not just in your, you know, you lose a job, for example, in your professional life and you're going, oh, you know, I got fired or laid off or I'm furloughed. What am I going to do? Um, but there might be other things that will happen at the same time. 
And I don't know why that seems to be the case, but it apparently is, at least in my life it's been that way. And at that point, you feel like you're hanging between trapezes. Or as one of my friends said, oh, it's like you're like spinning and you're like ready to fall off the edge of a cliff or you're drowning. And those are the crucible experiences. So if you haven't had one, yay for you. But um, if you, you might remember this if it does happen for you in the future. So if you're in a crucible, I've got, there's your crucible, this red thing here where you kind of feel like the, the dross is being burned away. Um, you start out with your own individual factors. So whoever you are as a person and in your environment, during that period then, um, you actually develop some different competencies when you get through this period. And it helps you organize the meaning of your life. Won't spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to float this idea of a crucible being a time to develop competencies and helping you organize your understanding of your life. And out of that crucible in that organization of meaning, you can develop new adaptive capacities or resilience, if you will. Um, it helps you actually engage others. So some things that when I talk about my story today and my crucible experiences, you might hear that story as being a way that you could connect with me or that you could learn from what I've learned. And that allows you to have a stronger voice in the world and to develop also your own integrity and moral compass, which is absolutely essential. Um, for being effective in your business and in your life. Viktor Frankl, I'm sure you've probably read Man's Search for Meaning. Um, he was in, I think it was Auschwitz, was one of the prison camps. And he wrote that what is to give life must endure burning. What is to give life must endure burning. And Rainier Rilke, who was a, a writer, poet in Germany, said, Perhaps all the dragons of our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us once beautiful and brave. Maybe those dragons are really princesses waiting to see us beautiful and brave. So this is what we sometimes think our journey is going to be. So I grew up in Fargo, North Dakota, and we, I share that with Jackie, North Dakota girl. And man, if you just live right there, I was taught, this is, you know, post-war, World War II, um, you know, if you just, you know, live the way you should, things should go really well for you, you're going to be successful, progress is going to go upward, but in fact, not so much, you know, things don't always happen that way, and this is what your real life looks like, and you're thinking, oh, I'm sure everybody else's life must just be going forward beautifully, just wonderful, no, 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 probably not, their life probably looks like that too. But the intended and the actual lived experiences might be different. So here we are. This is me. If you see that foul-looking child on the left side, <laughs> that's me. And this is like 1957 at the farm in North Dakota. These are my grandparents. And, it, you know, it's 104 degrees. It's humid. And there are bugs just buzzing and biting you. And my brother there, um, one of my brothers isn't in this picture, but my oh. brother is flipping off my dad as he takes yeah, as he takes the picture. This is one of my favorite family pictures. Okay. <laughs> but this shows you 
<laughs> shows you my upbringing. My dad did not see this picture until actually he was showing slides in our living room. We didn't have a TV like early on because we didn't have a lot of money. And, um, and you know, and he was a teacher. He brought the slide projector home, right? Slide. Here's my brother flipping off the whole group. <laughs> and, uh, and so you can see that um, it was, you know, it was a, you know, one of those um, family moments that show kind of the, the culture of that family, if you will. So here's my same brother that was flipping off my dad and me um, outside playing. And um, he is actually kind of important in my first crucible moment. So I wanted to show you that picture. This is one of my favorite pictures of him. So here's my first crucible. I'm on a, two crucible times that I want to talk really briefly about. But I want to tell you that what this is what happened and this is what I learned from it. And I'm still processing, of course, things that have occurred earlier in my life and I will continue to until the day I die but I think it just shows you the six C's so the this particular brother died of cancer at age 40 and he left two darling little girls which you will see later and um, it turned out that um, during that period of time when I got back from the funeral my ex-husband was um, having an affair with the babysitter and during the divorce, which of course happened, right? Um, my ex had my eldest son and was missing. And so I didn't know if I would ever see my other son again. And so I, at that time, was pregnant. And so I ended up with being a single parent with two kids. Well, then you'd think that was bad enough. But then during that crucible, one of my closest friends was in my wedding and everything, the original wedding, um, died uh, suddenly, a heart problem that no one knew had had been there and I had my house broken into by an armed robber at night when I was there with my little kids and guess what but I got to have work sexual harassment Woo so it was one of those situations where everything kind of uh, was feeling like it was going down the toilet but here are the things I learned from that um, bad things happen to everyone and even no matter how you live if you you know that Things can happen like that. Um, and I also learned that I could give thanks to the fact that this armed person did not hurt us when they broke into the house. I also learned that it was really way better than not to have my ex-husband around. Um, that was clear after he moved out. Uh, and it was really a blessing to um, get rid of him, really, if you want to know the truth. And I'm sure you do. So, um, but, but I also realized that, you know, my brother, um, you have to, life is short. You just don't know when it's going to end. And you have to really be joyous for the times that you can be. And I also learned that, you know what, you cannot say, oh, you know, I'm so in love with my spouse that it's just, you know, going to be he, he or she is my everything. It is not going to work. Uh, it can it can be fine for a while, but it's really important that you have connection to something larger than yourself and your family. And I also learned that fear, whether it be at work because of harassment or fear because of, you know, having your house broken, it's extremely damaged, damaging, and that you have to deal with it in a way where you're not afraid all the time. Okay, so that was the first crucible, okay? Here's my second crucible we're going to talk about, and that is more recent within the last 10 years. And this is a time where um, uh, my husband and uh, now this is so 32 years married to the second husband here. Uh, but 
our parents all died within a three-year period is actually more like within a two-year period. But during that same time, one of our sons, um, my husband's youngest, has uh, is bipolar, and, and he was missing and homeless. We had no idea where he was. And also during that time, a surgical error took the use of my dominant hand, and so I had two surgeries to try to fix the nerve and so on. Then, to add to the fun, um, we were victim of a crime and I had a sex offender stalking me and was pretty scared a lot. And I, of course, got post-traumatic stress from the crime situation. And so it was a really challenging time. And so what I learned from that is, again, to be grateful for the treasures and the joys of the people that are around you that you love. Uh, I also learned a lot about sociopaths and how to kind of avoid them, although they're hard to tell sometimes uh, early on, but to really um, be more clear about boundaries in my life. I learned that I have a weak, stop, weak spot um, for not seeing, if people are suffering and they're um, wounded in some way because I'm a nurse, I sometimes don't draw lines as, as effectively as I should for barriers for myself. I also really understand about PTSD and pain and mental health issues because we have ongoing issues with that in our family. And um, I also learned that um, I understood a little bit more of compassion for other people. Um, even though I'd been compassionate and been a nurse for a long time, it was interesting to me to see how I grew from suffering and even though I mean I really did not want it it happened and so what am I going to do with it what do you learn from this situation okay so these are the things that I learned and one of the things that I think is important is to realize that you know, you may look at other people's lives and you think, oh my gosh, they're, you know, look at, oh, they have all this money. They have, you know, wonderful things. You don't really know what's going on in their lives. And I am guessing that almost everyone has really chaotic periods and crucible periods. And how you deal with them is your test. That's your test to learn from them and to not be bitter, embittered by them, but instead, um, Get gutsy and full of grace. And I, you know, I go outside a lot. I love being outside. And um, I noticed that in the natural world, um, there, there's death in life. There are seasons changing. That even if this is a hell of a time right now, um, things will change. And tides, look at the tides. The way the seasons and the tides, tides ebb and flow that um, just looking at the natural world gives me the realization that this is not just in humanity, but it is a part of our world. Life is change. Growth is optional. Choose wisely. My, one, of, one of my granddaughters and I playing. Um, so the six C's of resilience. So These are the six C's. So what we're going to do with these is every one of these six C's, we're going to have coaching questions that I would like you to really pay attention to with each one. They're in light green. I don't know if you see the same colors as I do really, but to be able to really look at those and say, okay, are, is this something that 
I want to pay attention to. The first C is curiosity. And this is something um, that I've learned from my illustrious coach, Jackie, for one, but also that I've used in my own coaching practice is that step away, taking that step away to be curious. Stop, reflect, breathe, pause, and then ask yourself, why is this happening? Why now? What learning could I learn from this? And when people that I work with have a particularly challenging time, let's say that they've got to give a big presentation at a board meeting and it's going to mean whether or not they have funding for the next year, I ask them to take that step back and observe from another person's viewpoint and to really pretend that you're filming it. If you're very stressed out by something, that step back allows you to be curious. And that ability to be curious allows you to take in more information and learn more effectively. The other thing is, this may not be your emergency. It may be someone else's, so don't get hooked into that. Um, also, don't blame yourself if you ask yourself, why is this happening? Sometimes it is our fault and yes, step up and say, yep, I did, this is my problem, I caused this, but it's, sometimes it's not. And don't blame yourself for something that is not your fault. It also asks the question of the curiosity about how you can be more grateful for what you do have. Viktor Frankl also said this, between a stimulus and a response, there's a space. And in that space is your power to choose your response. And in that power to choose is your growth and your freedom. There you always have power. Even in Auschwitz, there was a choice on how to respond. That was the only freedom that was available to them. The next C is compassion. And the coaching question here is how can I be more gentle and patient with myself mm -hmm. and with others? Be thankful that you can forgive yourself and others for being human. And the compassion for yourself is I think a big issue when you're in the state of chaos. Sometimes, you know, all of you, I'm sure in being entrepreneurs, you're very um, high energy. You're out there putting yourself forward. Um, you want to be a high achiever. You are high achievers. And for you to be able to say, hey, you know what? I, gotta, I have to be more gentle and patient with myself right now. One of the skills is the kindest meditation that you can use. If for example, um, the person who was um, sexually harassing me and all, you know, a physician that wanted either to go to bed with me or, and he was married, um, or I would, he was going to try to get my job. And I, at that point, I was um, a leader in the organization and had a, a part of the hospital that I was manager of. And um, uh, it was resolved well, but I think um, instead of being really, really angry at that person, 
I found that it was more helpful for me to say, may you be at peace and happy, may you experience well-being and joy, and sending out that kind of feeling to the person and stepping back and not having, of course, anything to do with them except when I had to. But that kind of meditation allows me not to be embittered. And I often do this when I see people being really obnoxious and pains in the rear. I try to see them as what they were as children um, and reacting to their own hurts. But remember that compassion does not mean that you have to be around people that have harmed you or will harm you. Okay, no. Clearly, no. That's not compassion. The third C is commitment. And this is a big one. What can I hang on to? What is there for me that I can hang on to? It might be a spiritual piece. It could be your sense of purpose in life, an idea, a value, but it can't be like one person. Um, you might ask yourself also, when do I feel true joy? That will give you a clue um, into perhaps your personal purpose or what you want to hang on to. Um, ask yourself to what you are committed and when do I feel I'm fulfilling my personal purpose? Um, for me, I know when I see changes in organizations, when I feel that you know someone has learned something from what I've taught or how I've coached them, that I've helped them be more effective. That's one of the things that I feel is my personal purpose. And so see that positive impact. Um, even if it's the fact that you smiled at the lady that lives down the hallway and she seemed like it lifted her mood, that's a big deal for her. That's a big deal for her. I know I've probably repeated this too many times, but I think it's important to not have just one person or thing that you're committed to. Goethe said this, and I, this is something I was actually talking to someone about this earlier this morning, about commitment. You know, until you're committed, there is still some hesitancy. It's the chance to draw back, and it's always like, yeah, well, if this doesn't work out, I can do something else. And if, when you commit yourself, then providence moves. All sorts of things occur that help you that would never have occurred otherwise. And I, I don't know why that happens, but it seems to. And it really means that that commitment, that sense of being committed means that you're all in and you're going to go move forward. And it makes you way more effective. Leonardo da Vinci said, where the spirit does not work with a hand, there is no art. Mm. Now control. So control is one that is so important for us to think about. Uh, many of us like to control things and we really can't. Um, so it's important to think about what you can control and then what is outside of your control. Think about when you've had a damaging illusion of control. Um, we can't control other people. We can influence them, but we cannot control them. And especially, you know, those of us who have adult children, you know, you watch their lives and you're going, yay, they're doing really well, or mm, that's concerning. And 
and yet you have you can influence you can maybe offer something but it's their journey it's their life um, and the more you have mastery on over yourself and your own behavior and you don't find yourself striking out when it would be ill-advised and being able to really deal with some of your negative emotions um, that will help you feel more in control of yourself it's important to clarify your, your boundaries about your responsibilities and that of others in your lives and that also allows you to access acknowledge success humbly because um, so many things are outside of our control and I was extremely lucky because growing up in Fargo I had actually great schools and I was I had even good guidance counselors that helped me so I could get a scholarship and I was able to leave um, for school and so uh, it was great for me uh, and that was that was something that was totally outside of my control that I happened to be born into that family Richard Rohr says this, and I, this is so true. I think that if you don't transform your pain, you will always transmit it. If I had um, lived through that first crucible, for example, and not been able to transform that, it would have made me a very embittered person possibly. And I would not have been effective as a nurse or as a manager or a leader or a consultant or a parent and so you have to figure out how to transform the pain in a way that you won't transmit it to other people okay so challenge so the question here after control is to look at challenge what in what ways could I allow this crucible time to challenge me to be better so to see it as a challenge rather than Oh, I'm being just, you know, I'm being, God's punishing me for my bad behavior. That's why this happened. Um, I can remember a conversation we had after my brother got cancer and my dad was like, well, we've lived, you know, a, a really, you know, righteous life kind of thing. And it's like, no, this is not, this is not because somebody was bad. This is because cancer happens there are there may be bad things in our environment that's causing it certainly but this is not you know a personal scourge for you um, and and really realizing that um, you can allow things to be a challenge but also not to um, ascribe blame to yourself for things that you shouldn't be blamed for um, even your your enemies have value because they will teach you some things and you always have a choice about your response. So seeing th the changes or the chaos as a challenge, um, it really changes your mind shift and puts you into the space of appreciative intelligence. How could this be about something better? Jean-Paul Sartre said that freedom is what you do with what has been done to you. And again, Viktor Frankl, I love this guy. Um, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. And Friedrich Nietzsche, my husband's favorite philosopher, um, said, you have to have chaos within you to give birth to a dancing star. Mm -hmm. 
And I often use this in organizations that are in the midst of a horrible amount of change. And I say, hey, you guys, you may have chaos, but you can give birth to a dancing star. And uh, I, I think, you know, realizing that chaos is a part of that birth process, um, it sometimes is um, helpful to people. So connection. The coaching questions for connection for this C is what next steps could I take to help connect? Where do I need connect? What supports do I need? How can I be present in new and affirming ways? I found that, um, you know, depending on, you know, how extroverted or introverted you are, but really looking at how you can develop associations or supports um, that will help you in groups beyond your work or social settings. Um, find ways to connect with people that might understand your particular story or your challenges in a way that you can share your story with them. It really helps you to feel like you can be successful and move forward. Know how to connect. So here's a part of my connection story. So um, this is, you'll see in the front, those two darling little girls are my nieces who are now 50 and 45, um, and my mother. And then behind her, and I did lighten the slide up a lot, is my grandmother looking at um, them and looking on from the past, looking, if you will, watching them um, rocking. And this picture to me is part of my story in that one of the ways I connect is I look at the people in my history. I look at my family, the women and men, but particularly the women that I feel are out there for me, that are still there, raw, raw, cheering me on, that are saying, you can do it. If I can live on this farm in North Dakota in a sod hut and give birth, you can do this. And so that's one of the ways that I connect with my history and with the people around me, even the ones that are gone. So if we take the six C's that we've talked about and then connect it with appreciative intelligence, it will lead us to just a few skills that I'll briefly touch on and then we can open it for a discussion. So earlier we talked about this appreciative intelligence and seeing the mighty oak in the acorn and to see the potential in even the things that are partially burned there. It actually does have to do with what's going on in your brain. And there are actually different parts of your brain that light up. And I'm, I'm just sharing this briefly because I want you to know this is not just made up stuff. This is actually neurobiology that goes on. When you choose to reframe a situation and look at it differently, another part of your brain lights up than if you are stereotyping someone. And there's more information coming out on this all you know, a lot now um, as we get more um, functional MRI information and that sort of thing, but it's really important. So in the components of appreciative intelligence, we have reframing, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, appreciating the positive potential, 
and visioning how the future could unfold from the present. And those lead to those four qualities that we talked about, which we said, this is also, you know, the millionaire said they had irrepressible resilience and persistence. And I would add the conviction that one actions matter and the tolerance for ambiguity that we need in the midst of chaos, which is all through the ideas of appreciative intelligence and the neurobiology behind it. So there are certain skills that I would recommend that you refine if you don't already have them. And these are the skills for curiosity and compassion. We already talked about the pausing, um, taking those breaths, reflecting and choosing. The pause is really important. Also, there's the way that we sink in with others with focused listening. Um, I ask people to be aware of your body. When and, and how do you feel in your body when you're really stressed out? Do you feel it in your jaw, in your neck, in your gut, you know, in your solar plexus? You know, where do you feel that? Being aware of that allows you then to, when that happens, let's say you're in a meeting, and you feel that jumping in your solar plexus, it's time to stop, pause, take the breaths, reflect, and make a choice. So really then using that to develop our empathy. Talked about reframing before, but I'm going to go into more detail about that. Reframing, if you're not aware of it, is we look at what has happened and how it could be seen differently. So let's look at a, a situation. Um, so when I talked about what happened when my brother died and uh, my ex-husband was taken off with a babysitter, I could tell you that was my story. Or I could say that my ex-husband fell in love with someone else at a critical time. It allowed me the choice to realize I was in a relationship that was abusive and I needed to move out of it. So it's reframing it. It's the way I see that relationship or that situation. I'm, think about like putting a different pair of frames, uh, glass frames on or reframing a picture and how it changes it. So reframing actually then lights up a different part of our brain. Another question you could ask with reframing is how might someone else see this from their perspective? And are there ways that you could see this situation that would be less stressful? So for me, the difference in my body, if I say, okay, this is what happened, you know, my brother died and, you know, the jerk took off, blah, blah. I, got, I get the gut thing going on. I go, ugh, inside. If I say, you know, it was the best thing that ever really happened to me because if I had raised my two sons in that environment, they would not be the feminists they are today. That's freeing. That's a way that they may, in fact, see the situation. In fact, I think that is the way they see the situation themselves. Um, I think when we were talking about traits versus state, really looking at, you know, being aware of your own body and how you have a choice of response, um, that's another piece of what happens when we reframe and when we use um, the 
the six C's and appreciative intelligence. Mm -hmm. The next part of appreciative intelligence, that last part was the visioning. What could be happening in the best of our all possible worlds? The future enters into us in order to transform itself in us long before it happens. So for example, I know there's a teacher strike going on now in, um, in LA and it's, it's horrible for everybody. Um, so vision, what could be the best? What could happen from this chaos that could be better for everyone, for the students, for the teachers, for the board? Those are the visioning parts of the appreciative intelligence process to think of what could happen. What are the best of all possible worlds? It also allows us to tell stories. And you've noticed that I've spent time with you today talking about my story. Storytelling is the way that we communicate our culture and our values, um, whether it's in our family or it, it, in our organizations. The story that you tell about your business to potential clients, that's the way we communicate. So my story, if there are things in my story that really made sense to you or challenged you, those are the ways that we really embed ourselves in supporting each other. So for example, back to my story again, here, <laughs> is a part of my family. This is a part of my story. So the woman in the bottom there on the right hand side, that's my grandmother, Sophia from Iceland. And she and her husband came from Iceland to Homestead in Northern North Dakota and had 15 children. Wow. And this woman, her husband died soon after this. I apparently he never even lived to see the, the photo developed. And she, um, was the midwife for the area. And that's how she made her living because he, he wasn't, he was an accountant in Iceland. He came here and he didn't know anything about farming. He had a terrible farm. Um, it was terrible land. And so they did the best they could, 15 kids, and she was a midwife and that's how they lived. But that story, again, gives me hope and gives me the idea that I can be successful because these are the people I came from. Mm -hmm. And so knowing a story or sharing a story really helps us to change our own behavior and leads to us being able to act in concert with other people. And I, I, at the end, I will show you there's two slides that are full of all these resources that I've stitched together for this quilt of my story um, so that you know more about um, where I got those resources if you want to delve into them a little bit more. Another tool is the behavioral confirmation process. And, and uh, we're just about done with all these tools, but this is one that I definitely teach leaders. You can also teach your clients this because you can look at what behaviors that you would want to occur. And then you identify what's happening and where it's not happening and where it is, and then only underline the positive behaviors. And this is certainly a psychological principle um, that you can use. But as a leader, anytime you see that that, um, 
that um, staff nurse makes sure that she tells someone ahead if she thinks she's getting ill so that you can staff that. That's called out. You say, hey, thank you so much for doing that. Rather than saying, I know you're calling in sick. You know, instead saying, thank you so much for the early information on that so we could get you covered and have enough pay, you know, care for the patients. That's the kind of thing that you say to really look at those acorns and help them to grow. Heraclitus said this, and this is you know, a Greek poet and philosopher, and he said, and it, maybe it really was his wife that said it, I'm just wondering. <laughs> Probably his wife. Um, but you know, they only have the man writing these things. <laughs> the soul is dyed the color of its thoughts. So thinking of those things that are in line with your principles and can stand the full light of day makes the difference. Um, so drawing uh, on the positive things. The content of your character is your choice. Day by day, what you choose, what you think, and what you do is who you become. Your integrity is your destiny. It is the light that guides your way. And so all the principles that we've really talked about are relating to taking, thinking of the things that are in line with your principles and that allow you to have choice to improve and become what you want to become. Peter Senge said in presence that we have no idea of our capacity to create the world anew. We don't, we don't know until we actually try it. And so what we've talked about is the strategies to become resilience fit. So what are crucible experiences? Remember, you're, you, know, you feel like you're burning up or you're hanging between trapezes. We talked about the six C's, curiosity, compassion, commitment, challenge, control, and connection. And so my big question for you is, if you didn't already jot down the questions, which of those six C's seem the least comfortable? So that you might want to incorporate that knowledge into how you develop your plan um, for this new year. <laughs> Goethe said, whatever you can dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. This is one of my favorite quotes that I often tell um, groups that this is true. Um, I've been able to develop a business um, because of my dream to help make healthcare better. And here, thank you for being with me. And then here are all your references. So I've got two long pages of references for you here. Um, and if there's something missing that you wanna find the references uh, for, let me know. So questions. Let me get Everyone unmuted. Wow, Ruth, wow, that's all I can say is, um, and I have to say for those uh, of you, let me get our gallery view here. Um, we got a little bit of feedback, don't we? Oh, we do. So, um, but let me just share that um, when Ruth talks about her crucible moments, 
Um, that's at a time when Ruth and I were working together. Yes. And so I was very familiar with some of those, um, with those moments. And, um, you know, it, which, so I can really validate what she said and the way that she was and how she viewed it as really being true. I mean, she was amazing to me that I'm thinking, wow, she goes through this and still has such a great sense of humor. So, yeah. I think there has to be a C with humor, so maybe comical. I, I, I work, I'm working this into a book at some point, and I think comical has to be in there. So we're going to have like eight, oh, seven C's. Perfect, seven C's. Seven C's. The com <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> great book. Trademark, the seven so let's open it up to questions and discussions. And I'm going to mute myself in case it's me. So um, any, please feel free to chime in with any thoughts that you might have from what Ruth shared, any questions that you might have. And I'm going to put myself on mute. Okay. Ruth, I have a question. Um, and, and first off, let me start by saying this is a, uh, this is really valuable work and thank you so much for um, bringing it to Eureka. I just, I'm very impressed and I love the way that you put all of this together and the way that the quotes enhance what you're saying. It was great. It was really, really great. Thank you so much. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk about how would you recommend developing empathy in growing leaders? Um, because I see that there is often a um, and I, I work inside of an organization. Um, I, I often see when we move somebody from a position where they're great at their job, but then they move into having more power, that there is a way in which that triggers some bad behaviors. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how, what you, what you, you know, thoughts you have around that. Oh, I, this is something I deal with a lot too. Um, so what happens with, in nurses as well. I mean, they're very empathetic because they've seen the realities of what happens with human beings, um, the worst of what happens, both socially and um, social indicators of health, um, people that are in horrible situations. Uh, we see that all the time. So there's a lot of empathy normally with nurses, uh, but what happens when they go into management role, they forget that. And so one of the things I've done, and also I've noticed like, for example, CFOs of healthcare organizations have never stepped into a patient room. And if they've never been sick or had a family member that's been ill, or they're lucky enough not to have had, you know, mental health problems or other you know, chronic diseases in their family, they don't get it. They don't know, especially when they're quite young and they haven't had that opportunity yet. Um, of course, it sounds like I'm saying everybody's going to be crazy sooner or later, but that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's, I think what I ask them to do is to walk in the shoes of, of the other people, to actually experience each of those roles. So, for example, the nurse manager who has now become, well, I don't care how many staff you have anymore because, you know, just do it um, because of all the pressures from above to, you know, keep the budget in line. What I ask them to do is to actually, if they're not feeling safe to be an actual care provider anymore, I ask them to actually walk in a night shift with the staff that they have to round, that's required. 
Um, so they actually visit the patients and the families. And I also make this, well, make, <clears throat> I encourage strongly the CFOs to um, walk in the steps of various healthcare providers throughout the day. And they take days where they just are like a respiratory therapist or a, an OR nurse or a uh, ER doc and to see what comes in and what they're dealing with. So I ask them to actually be on the floor, if you will, of, of, what, of the work that's being done and that that's a requirement. Um, I have seen changes in people's beliefs um, as that has happened. So that's one of the tactics or strategies that I use. I also think that some people have not been taught empathy um, in their families. Uh, I see this happening with children that um, they, with my kids, when someone, if they smacked someone, I'd say, well, how do you think that felt to Matthew when you smacked him in the head with that, you know, rolling pin? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't let them play with rolling pins, but you know what I'm saying? So you actually help, you, you ask them those questions. Um, in a group work, I ask them to really sit together with people that might be adversaries and um, for them to pretend that that moment that they are in that person's shoes and describe a day in their lives and what their biggest challenges are. And so that they're having to try to do that. And it is amazing how clueless they are until there's that ongoing conversation between the two, two people. So um, th those are the ways I help people actually take that step into that foreign, foreign country. Thank you, that's helpful. You're so welcome. Mm -hmm. If I think of anything else, I'll um, send you a private message or something. Yeah, well, I think what you said about the families of origin is really, it's, you know, I mean, that is so, when we're wired to either have it or not have it, um, and sometimes, like, and you both know this because you've talked a little bit about your families of origin, when you grow up in a family where being tough is valued and being vulnerable is a weakness, I think that those things um, can often be exaggerated in the workplace because people feel uh, empowered to be, you know, powerful, but from an ego place rather than a, a, a like a more of a servant leadership place. Right. Right. Um, you can also ask them to read some of the books about, you know, like servant leadership. And there are... <clears throat> There are resources about developing um, emotional intelligence online that you can use. Um, do If you can have them do a 360, if you're in organizational development, you can have them um, do a 360 evaluation and get some feedback from people. Sometimes it stops them cold because they go, oh my gosh, they, those people all think I'm a hard ass. Yeah, and that's then, a good idea too, I like that. And then they realize that they aren't the person that they thought they were to others. Mm -hmm. That helps. Humbling. <laughs> so one of the things that I that really strikes me too is the use of the word crucible rather than problem or, you know, well, problem. You know, in business sometimes we talk about challenges, but what I find 
even so, there's a um, there's something about the whole notion of talking about nobody wants to admit they've got problems, yeah. right? And but if we can talk about it in terms of uh, a crucible, right? It's yeah. it somehow makes it a little bit easier to talk about. Yes, yes, and I think um, it's. It's an odd enough word that um, when I work with a group of leaders and I ask them about their leadership crucibles that they've had, mm -hmm. um, and if they are just new leaders, then I ask them about previous crucibles. And it's amazing. Um, it allows them to actually speak about it because what we're saying is this is transformation. It is, it is hell. And let's just call it hell. It is. You know, let's just be real about it. And so you're, you're admitting and you're saying, yes, this is hell. It's okay to feel the hell. So, but what is the transforming factor? What are you getting, how is this transforming you? And I, I, when I do this with a group and I have them talk about it, um, it is amazing tears we have people oh I bet um, just uh, you know talking about things that um, it, it really brings a group that maybe didn't really get along that well together because they see people in a different way yeah. when you know about the hurts that are making them act that way or that could be the core problem that is being shared unfortunate in unfortunate ways that helps them cut them some slack in a way and also they also call them on it they go oh there's your dragon in there you know or, or those kinds of things they are apt to ask each other for help when you see my dragon coming out when i'm in my crucible and i haven't been transformed let me know right and so they support each other more i think because they hear the stories right right um, I just have a question. So I work with a lot of organizations around um, creating new pr process and new future state and addressing some of the gaps that happened from when they experienced these crucible experiences from a, a company point of view. And I'm finding in what's happened in the past is that they don't have a nice process. <laughs> like they don't go through something like this. So they can't let go of it. So no matter what beautiful things we put in place that will resolve a lot of the things they're addressing or that they need to address, they just, they can't seem to let go of that one time. But, you know, like someone's like, they just, they can't, they can't get over it. And so do you have any advice around other than like communication and going through some of this that you've already presented around helping, especially when I haven't been there during the crucible, the chaotic or that crucible moment, how to coach them through letting go like the letting go part of it yes i actually because um, yeah go ahead i'm sorry no i was just gonna say because i think sometimes they didn't show up in the right way either do you know what i mean like they maybe didn't handle it with integrity or the way like they could have done it in a positive light and a lot of times it happened negatively so yeah 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 i mean it was probably really poorly handled anyway um, right probably or they wouldn't have all these <clears throat> leftover problems from it. Um, yes. So I actually follow a process um, 
when there was a lot of restructuring in like the 1990s of healthcare organizations, we found that there were um, some really negative um, problems that occurred later because they had really dealt with it, mm -hmm. dealt with the issues. So what I do is when I go back into the organization that is still struggling and can't get to the new steady state of this beautiful vision of the future, we actually have to readdress those things. We go back and we um, go through a process of using a metaphor um, of what they feel like happened at that point, um, whether it was you know the strike or the uh, you know restructuring or the new CEO or the person who was you know whatever happened during that period. And then we say, what do you need to let go of and what do you feel forced to do? So we look at where they feel they have no freedom. We also ask them what they feel like they need to let go of in order to be effective in the new world. And so when they identify, and this takes, I mean, it takes a good day to uh, work together to, to get to this if it's a very, um, toxic organization, um, they take the piece that they need to let go of and they talk about it. And they then um, either throw it in a garbage can, they you know, squish it up or we burn it if you can. Most places you can't burn anything inside, but um, sometimes we even go outside and burn it. But what we're doing is there, it's, it's like a funeral or you know, any of the, the different strategies we use to celebrate and move on in our lives. Um, you know, bat mitzvahs and funerals and weddings and all those things that say, this is the past and now this is a new day. Um, because people have to have that kind of a um, structure to actually let go of those things. I just an example really quickly, but I was working with an organization and a woman, I was, we always, um, we go in there and I talk to them about at the in between shifts about, um, you know, what's working, what's not working and really get to talk to the people who are doing the work. And a woman said, she's never been the same since the strike. No, since the, it was the hospital that was the new hospital. And I'm, what? You know, I was just, I said, well, no one's, you know, I have all this information. I have like this much information from the organization. I've read all their stuff, all their documents. And she goes, yeah. And it was like 20, 30 years before. I mean, it was like wow, another lifetime. She was one of the oldest employees and she was still remembering when the hospital was bought by somebody else or some, some amazing thing. And I'm going, and she had not let go of it for 30 years. 25, 30 years. And people don't. They yeah. can, unless they're, no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I work with a lot of um, oil and gas and mining and manufacturing yeah. and where people have like grown up and lived their careers in these organizations and, and they find, a, I get a lot of that. There's that one person in the corner with their arms crossed that was like, we did this in 1986 and it didn't work then. So it's not going to work now. And it's like, the world's so different now. You have to be able to be open to these things. So, um, but then when, yeah, I'm the same as you, I get so much information that I find out like there's just that one weird thing that is them needing to let go of it, not anything that we're doing. 
yeah. from the work we're doing, but mm -hmm. but it need, it can't also move forward or get buy-in or engagement without it either sometimes. So yeah, you have to go back to find out what's what's sticking, what's the sticking point, right? And you know what do they have? What do they need to let go? Of? And they have to choose to let go so that they feel they have the freedom to become this new person in this new organization, um, which is a, that's not easily done. Good luck. <laughs> it's yeah, no, thank you. It's just, it's like a recurring thing, thing that's happened lately. So I just, I'm trying to yeah. come up with new solutions. It's very helpful. Thank you so much. Tell them if you, they don't, um, if they don't change, you're going to send in Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I might. And you she'll know, get them in shape. I'll get them in shape. If they're sitting there with their arms folded, I always, I, depending on what else is going on in the room, I will say, you know, I'm guessing I don't know the whole story because I'm seeing people across. Oh. And it's not cold in here. So mm. what other people might, it, not necessarily why your arms are crossed because they're not gonna tell you, but say, what do you think some of, why do you think some of the other people's arms are crossed? What do you, what would be your best guess about that? And then they will say, well, I bet this person, and they're not gonna come out and say, oh yeah, cause they don't wanna lose their job. They're not gonna say math because blah, blah happened, you know? or that, that mining accident happened in, you know, 1984, they're going to say, I think some people might think that that accident in 84 wasn't handled the best way. And then you're going to know what your issues are that you have to address about that. What really strikes me about that too, Ruth, is you're describing how you would handle a situation like that is the courage that it must take on your part as the presenter and as the facilitator to have that open up that kind of conversation yes it, it i've learned though that um that's why i get paid the big books oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i but it is that it is that ability to you there otherwise you're not going to make it's not going to work you're not going to make the progress you need to make Right. right. And um, you know, I've learned through hard yeah, experiences. I'm not, I don't think I have the courage. It's their courage to really be able to speak up. And if you let it be safe because you say, what do you think other people might be concerned about? Then, then you're more apt to have some poor person talk. And if no one will talk, give them a piece of paper and just have them put it in a basket and say you can write or not write but what do you think someone might be questioning right, right. okay yeah right. so ruth thank you so much um this was really powerful and you are extremely powerful and i um you know our conversations and about your crucible moments were in private conversations coaching client uh, coach client conversations and i have to tell you how much i appreciate you being so open with those conversations it's very inspiring to hear you talk so publicly about them and in such a way that is so positive you give uh, you give me and i'm sure you give a lot of other people tremendous amount of hope 
Oh, good. I hope so. That's that's what I'm trying to do. So that's that's the end result that I want. So, and if you decide to write a book on resilience for entrepreneurs, you can use Eureka as a platform. And and I bet I can speak for everybody here that uh, we'll be glad to pop in and talk talk about stories and situations and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff that we keep in a dark spot in our soul. <laughs> <laughs> Let the dark places of your soul come to light. <laughs> yeah. Let's put a little light on those dark spots. Oh, gosh. It's been very fun for me. Thank you for being um, in, uh, involved in that conversation. It's helped me refine the ideas. And now I have to put com comical or whatever I came up with, comic something. Um, comic relief. Comic <laughs> relief, yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you, everybody. It's been delightful. And um, if you have other questions or whatever, you can certainly let me know. Send me Sounds a note. Sounds good. Sounds good, Ruth. Thank you. And I will get this video posted, video and audio posted on Eureka and sent over to you. And I just really appreciate it. Appreciate oh. your presenting and also just appreciate you. Oh, well, I appreciate you as well and all of you. Thanks so much for Thanks. being involved with this. Okay. See you Bye, y'all. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Bye.